Welcome to 21 Tango, where we break down casinos and gambling in a way you've never seen before. Whether you're a casual player looking for a fun time and a slight edge, or a seasoned blackjack dealer of 20 years, we have the insights, banter, and knowledge that you need to optimize your experience. Please join us as we take you into the blackjack pit, the cash vault, and everywhere else, so the next time you step foot in a casino, you will be the professional. to kick things off by giving a shout out to our boys over at the you can bet on that podcast they tweeted us out and we ended up getting a few new viewers so welcome everybody from the you can bet on that podcast yeah it was nice we got a little uh shout out from them on uh twitter i believe uh unexpected but very much appreciated yeah i mean i couldn't believe it whenever i saw someone as big as them and i guess big as relative but they're the first casino podcast that i found that was any good whenever i thought about getting into this space and i was kind of like all right these are the guys that we got to uh emulate you know reasoned sound logic all the time they're not not much hyperbole you know it's a really really good pod yeah definitely um it was nice when you sent me the link to their podcast initially because i had tried to search some other casino and gaming podcast to try to see what was going on this in the space and eh, no offense to whoever i listened to but it was just everything just it's kind of subpar right and then you sent me that like you gotta gotta try out these guys. And I'm like, yeah, oh, these guys are good. Um, yeah, good setup, good knowledge. Uh, yeah, definitely recommend taking a listen to them. And uh, thanks for the shout out, guys. Yeah, it was crazy. We before we even did a single podcast, I was like, these are the guys, right? <laughs> like we singled them out, and then we did our first podcast, and then immediately they reached out to us on Facebook and gave us a little bit of advice, you know, which platforms to upload to and it was it was it's like a matrix moment right it's like they're they're one of the the only podcasts that i would even consider taking advice from from and they're the ones that are messaging us on facebook right away i was like whoa this is this is really nice this is interesting yeah such a massive coincidence like you said and it's it's crazy how the universe works sometimes um you know it's like we're trying to put out the the good energy of, you know, the truth in gaming and, you know, but while also having a fun element to it. And it seems like those guys are on a similar wavelength, right? And somehow they just found found their way to us and offer up a little advice and then uh, help boost us in the early going, which uh, is uh, greatly appreciated. Oh yeah. So thank you again to You Can Bet on that podcast. If there's anyone here that is listening that hasn't somehow come across them yet, please do look them up. They're, uh, like I said, they're the best one that we've seen so far. Anyway, MJ, how's the rest of your week been? What do you got going on your fantasy team? I remember uh, from the first couple picks you told us last week, I can imagine you're 0-2, right? 2-0, baby. 2-0, baby. Undefeated. That, that can't be real. If we end the season now, um, Garrett Wilson and Nicholas Chubb, my first two picks, um, their injuries or injuries to their quarterbacks will have not mattered because I'm undefeated. Let's I can't go, believe it, man. Is Wilson three number three receiver on the year yet? Um, he's, I mean, he's minimum the third best receiver in any game he plays stat wise. <laughs> so we got that going for us. He's our WR three of any given game. But surprisingly, he's done okay with. Uh, I mean, he did have eleven hundred yards last year. Um, with uh, with his boy, his name's not coming to me. The younger guy that uh, Rogers was tutoring this year. Um, he had eleven hundred yards as a rookie last year. So I mean, he's. Only had four touchdowns last year, but um, he's he's 
shown that he can put up nice numbers inexperienced with an inexperienced QB. So I got to imagine his uh, ceiling is still pretty high All right. without Rodgers. Sounds like you're still live for the hot take bet. You're not completely dead yet. Well, I almost think like that's got to be invalid, right? If, if Rodgers goes down the for like, you know. No, no, like, no, no. We've got to no. prorate that down no. to like, you know, three going <laughs> under to WR like 13, maybe add a, add a one to it for, for, uh, for fairness, right? Right, but then you have to prorate his stats he had whenever he had Rodgers, which was zero receptions for zero which, yards. So, Which was precisely nothing. So you project that out they, for the whole season, yeah. Man, not to go too deep dive into sports, but does it get any higher or lower than the American flag running through the field and then <laughs> torn Achilles 13 seconds later? Like, what are we doing here? Like, the only thing it could have been any worse is if he literally just tore his Achilles while running with the American flag. I mean, it couldn't have. <laughs> that's literally the only worse scenario possible. It's just nuts for Jets fans, man. Sad, sad, sad times. Yeah, I feel bad for Rodgers, but you love to see it, man. I love the... I love the hype leading up to absolutely nothing. You know, it's a nice trope in movies sometimes where they build up the scene, build up the scene, and then the joke in the scene is that it immediately just ends in tragedy, like right off the bat. That's kind of the Jets season in a nutshell. I don't know, man. I, w- I was a big fan when um, Brett Favre ended up on the Vikings and had his career year at age 40 and uh, was within a throw of the Super Bowl. And the- that was a magical carpet ride of a season. And I was kind of hoping for something like that. Did Rodgers have Adrian Peterson? No, but he did have, what, James Cook and uh, Garrett, or uh, what's the, Brees Hall, right? Well, Brees Lightning. Yeah, that's about, <laughs> didn't hear that one before, that's a good one. Yeah, that's close to the equivalent of a later stage AP. Is it, though? I mean, eh, you know, two-headed monster versus uh, one-headed super monster, I don't know. No, I'll take AP on half of MCL over any two-headed monster you can find yeah he was quite the uh he was quite the specimen man from his college days in oklahoma you just knew he was going to be a beast there was no question super tall super fast super strong just feet always moving man those were some uh that was in the height of the early 2000s when the running backs uh controlled the league too and uh yeah those were uh those were good times for football fans yeah no doubt can you see what i'm sharing here Let's take a look here. Uh, that's your boy, uh, one one L Phil the Beast. Or wait, does he have two L's like you? I think he's a one L Beast. Let's go right now. Um, percentage of one L Phils versus two L Phils. Uh, what's the oh what's god the statistical breakdown? Are we ninety nine to one? Uh, Are you even greater than that? Is it like ninety nine point five to point five? I haven't done an exhaustive analysis of the fills in the world but i don't see many 2l fills that often but i I see enough that i think it's probably not 99 to 1 i'd go with like maybe 9 to 1 honestly like maybe 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 15 16 to 1 actually yeah that that sounds about right somewhere higher than 10 to 1 for sure maybe not as high as you know 99 to 1 obviously but uh i feel like you can take it the other way which is pretty rare too like that uh the kid actor and uh the degenerate family on Showtime. Instead of Philip, he was Lip, right? He was just oh. Lip. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Uh, was that Shameless? Shameless. There it is. Yep. Uh, I feel like if you go with a Lip, um, if you're Philip and you go with Lip, you got to go two Ps, right? Oh my God. <laughs> or do we go L I H P P? Now you're just going off the rails, man. I think with Lip, I think with Lip, you're already in the 99th percentile of rareness. You don't have to 
put more dealer dealer flair on the on the name, you know. Oh, we do we we do dealer flair here on the Twenty One Tingo podcast. Which uh, man, we should have a segment on dealer flair at some point, shouldn't we? I don't think my my heart can take a segment on dealer flair. I hate it so much. I mean, we're here, right? So let's just let's okay. go into dealer. Let's let's go into it, right? Explain dealer flair. What are we talking about? So, as a dealer, right? You learn the game. The bare bones of any dealing experience is math and hands, right? So like the mental and the physical, which is pretty much anything, right? So the mental is the math, right? Math and procedures and the physical is your hands. So some dealers don't have great hands, right? They take longer to cut out checks or they take longer to approve checks. Um, Generally, sometimes older dealers have problems, you know, arthritis and stuff like that, just not as nimble anymore. Usually the younger dealers We'll have a little better hands. They can cut out checks quicker. It's cleaner. It's smoother, right? Yep. That, that's not that's not an example of dealer flair. That's what we like to see, right? We want clean cutouts, clear the hands. Um, I, I once had a one of my mentors tell me, we you should never hear the checks. So like you're taking yep. out of the tray, you're cutting them out. Don't hear them if like. So that was like I remember when I was new, and I started to try to fine tune my skills. I was I wasn't never trying to go fast. I mean I was trying to go quick, but not fast, right? Just quick enough where they can't hear it quick and smooth that's that's the that's the nuts right that's what you want so dealer flair is when maybe you get to let's just say one to two year range maybe even six months to two year range of experience you've pretty much mastered the procedures and the math you know you got that all down you got good hands or maybe even average hands right you kind of starting to get into that feeling like i know it all like what else is there to learn maybe you don't have a mentor or maybe you don't have a um somebody to teach you how to really go to the next level right Right. And you get kind of, uh, these dealers will get stuck in their head and just start doing weird stuff with the checks, right? Like doing goofy stuff with their hands, like extra wasted hand movements to try to look fancy. Yeah, yeah. Flipping their flipping their wrists in a, in a whipping motion before they bring it over to the stack. Just just a bunch of strange extra movements that I, I'm not sure about. This, this, this dealer flair often violates that rule, like of not hearing the checks, right? Because it's usually more exaggerated and violent hand movements right where they're it's just often you'll especially see it with dice dealers with that dice dealers they kind of hit the one to two year wall right and they're they're competent maybe but they're not you know and then they start just doing goofy press move goofy press moves or goofy throwing checks to the throwing checks is okay to the to the stick man stick person but um just doing who knows behind the back or some weird underhand this behind the back <laughs> maybe behind the back is is the is a little as a uh is rare but um i've never seen the behind the back on the crab stable yet phil do you got any other good examples of dealer flair i know i'm missing some well some that come to mind are um the dealers who look at the hit card in blackjack before they set it on the table they'll like pull it out of the shoe then they'll look at it first before the customer can see it and then they'll kind of play a game whipping it around or teasing the guests before they show it to them instead of just i was taught one the the first person to see the dealer's hit card the third their third card should be the guests that are playing the game like or everyone should see it at the same time you should either turn it where they see it first or flip it over so fast that it's known by everyone at once i don't like the idea of a dealer knowing the fate of a player's bet before they do something about that bugs me extremely Uh, and that's one of the biggest flares i see i see him pick it up and just a lot of dealers will go oh sorry you lost and then put it down but that the player actually won that just bugs me so much man just turn it over let them experience the gambling 
however they want to experience it in real time. Don't try to manipulate their experience. Something about that, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're if you're with me. Yeah, no, that's that's one of the one of the first dealer flares that most dealers learn. I'd say, you know, a high percentage of dealers do that. Now, when I, I've actually kind of thought about this, and since we're down in this rabbit hole, um, there's two types of pre looks, right? There's the there's the flare dealer flare pre look, like you said, where they're kind of like doing the uh, and they're like, yep, yeah, faking out, or maybe or maybe they're not faking out. Sometimes be like, you know, a person will double down, get a twenty, and then you know they draw to a you know, 21 and they're looking at it and they're like, oh, and it's like, for real, it's like, but what what gives them the right to know the outcome before right. the, the player, right? Just like you said, I, I'm with you there. But sometimes I've noticed it's weak dealers that just aren't quick at math. And sure. They're not confident. So that in that case, it's not really a flare. It's more of a confidence issue. And that can be coached. That can be coached out, right? Like easier than, you know, dealers who are heavy into the flare game are harder to coach, but it's still possible. But um yeah, usually the un- the confidence issue is something I'm, I'm, you know, you can kind of tell, you know, they're not doing the emotional thing. They're just trying to make sure they got the count right. And then they do. So you're saying they want a head start on the yes. count. They want them. They want to know the total before the player gets a chance to calculate it faster than them. That's what's going Cor- on. Correct. Yeah. So like, for example, maybe they've, maybe they're really yeah, new and they've maybe. got a couple shots taken on them. Not now. This isn't that, you know, this is a smaller percentage. It's probably more often flare. But if you really watch, especially with newer dealers, they just want to, they're just not confident. And, you know, if they slap down the the 21 and then the dealer, or I'm sorry, the player cheers is taking a shot like, oh, I break, you know, they want to like really be confident in what they're doing, you know, and it's like. Right, I'm with you. Yeah, so, so yeah, so that's sometimes, usually Flair, I'd say, you know, and, and let's, let's talk about Baccarat too, because you notice newer Baccarat dealers, that's another Flair, right, where like, I don't know, let's just say a player, the the guest is on banker, player shows six, uh, banker banker uh, has three, card for banker, right? Yep. And they're like rubbing the table in front of you, come on, let's have a four, mm-hmm. let's have a five, and this and that. It's like, this is like, this is, I've had to tell this to a lot of dealers, right? Like, you are not the, inter- like, you are part of the entertainment. We want you to, you know, you are not, the- they're not coming there for you for rubbing the table, and they're coming there for the game. The game of Baccarat is a great game. It's a, it's a... There's plenty of entertainment built into the, the the rules of how you draw the cards and the suspense and the drama that ensues, right? Like they know they they walked into the door, they know what's going to happen, right? Like just let them lose. So Take are you it. are you advocating for you're not you're not rooting for the players? So everyone's on everyone's on the dragon, and you don't want the dealer. Come on, four, we need the four. Like maybe okay, two side, so two side. You presented a outlier case, right? If it is like a spot where they're you know chance of a thirty to one, right, or something like that. Yeah, then maybe we give maybe then it then we root them on a little bit, right? But I'm just talking to routine hands, right? Where there's no bonus possible or okay. whatever. A one to one. Yeah, like we don't need all the and you know the extra stuff there. But sure, a little a little rooting on is fine in certain situations. Maybe maybe let's just know the situation, right? And root, root when applicable. I got one that's something that's directly related to this it doesn't really it's not flair but i want to talk about it because it's super contextual with what we just talked about about two months ago i was in the baccarat room and we had a couple bock tables going a couple new people playing baccarat that i hadn't seen in the room ever just a new group of young kids looked like they were in their mid-20s so they were playing bock and every time they won any hand at all they were playing like 50 to 100 per hand which I know it sounds like a lot, maybe a lot to some people, but in our Baccarat room, isn't really that much. We have people betting 
thousands and thousands per hand. 50 is basically the minimum. 50 to 100, everyone's basically playing that per hand. So anyway, they're playing 100 to 50 per hand. And every time they win any side player or banker, they're just getting up and cheering and yelling at literally near the top of their lungs, right? Like the volume of their celebrations were as if they just hit like a $10,000 jackpot, but it was every time they won and they were betting a 50-50 chance they were betting player or banker. So this was happening extremely frequently, right? So then I had to go over to the tables like, guys, you can celebrate. You just cannot be yelling at the top of your lungs when you're hitting these you know, one-to-one -one hand, like they're going to happen so frequently. You cannot just yell at the loud, at, as loud as you can this often. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. I understand. Then the table behind them, they had a 40 to one dragon, the table behind them. So everyone on the table cheers as they should. They all just won like $2,000 each on their side bets, 40 to one. So they're all cheering and high-fiving. The place is going nuts. They eventually calm down. And then the next hand, these people who I just had talked to about cheering too loud hit another banker, right? They win banker, another one-to-one -one bet where they all win $50. They just explode again, start yelling at the top of their lungs also. So now I'm in a weird dilemma. I have to go back over to this people who I've already warned, quote unquote, and be like, uh, look guys, I'm sorry. I just talked to you about this. You cannot yell every time you guys win a hand. But then they go, well, the table behind us just yelled and you didn't talk to them. And all we saw you didn't talk to them. So then I had to, I was kind of trapped and I felt very awkward, but I kind of had to explain the nuance of the spot. And I'd be like, look, they hit a 40 to one payout. It's extremely rare. They all won multiple thousands. Like you can cheer when that, you can cheer really loud when that happens. But I, I was, I was such awkward, so awkward MJ. Like I, I got to tell these guys not to cheer for the money that they win while I'm saying other people could cheer. What would you have done? Like, am I wrong? Am I, am I confused? Am I lost? What's going on? No, it's, it's a tough spot because how do we rein in the, you know, noob guests that don't understand the pit they're playing in, right? They're brand new to the game. They don't understand that it's generally a more mellow game. Um, you know, how do you, you know, how do you tell them that this isn't $15 blackjack on a Saturday night at 10 p.m., you know? Um, I think, I think the only thing, if I could, if I could critique what you said, and this, this may be in the spot I would or wouldn't have thought of this, but... As soon as they you're, you 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 talk to them right, saying you know let's bring it down, guys, and then they hit the forty to one, you could go over to that table, provided it was like on the other side of the pit, and just stand by it and just talk to people, and then like you could have the deniability like oh I told them too, like oh, I don't know, like like that's that's kind of a goofy spot we're already in, so who knows if I would have thought of that or not, but something like that, you know, um, because like sometimes you gotta just you know. Uh, it's tough because we're trying to make the experience enjoyable for everyone while also being fair and while also not revealing bigger whales get better treatment or not better treatment, but you know, are allowed a little more things. And it's not even that you're allowing them more things in this spot, right? We're just saying, you know, let's, let's, let's go nuts at the top of our lungs when appropriate, you know, not every hand. I mean, that's a reason. I think that's more than a reasonable explanation, even for somebody playing bigger, right? If there was somebody playing you know, a thousand a hand or two thousand a hand or whatever, sure. and he's doing the same thing. He probably say the same thing to him. I don't think I'm gonna let him just scream at the top of his lungs every time. I don't care what he's what his action is. If <laughs> if it's bothering other people and you're watching other people have negative kind of reactions to that constant screaming, which you probably will, you gotta say something. So yeah. I think he did the right thing. Yeah, I don't I don't mind being wrong about this spot. Like it's very likely I should have just let them continue to celebrate in whatever fashion they want and waited till I got an actual complaint from another guest, which I hadn't had not received yet. 
but I just assumed it was coming because it was driving me up the wall, like listening to them yell constantly. Like, and I, I just imagined that everyone else was experiencing when I, what I was experiencing with the uh, annoyance at the volume that they were, you know, celebrating at every other hand, basically every two minutes, maybe less. Um, but yeah, it, I'm glad you got to uh, help me out a little bit on that one. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think the preemptive, um, the preemptive coaching of the player is okay here. I'm totally okay with it. I mean, you got to make the experience enjoyable for everybody, right? If this is time and place, right? So if this is a $15 blackjack pit on a Saturday and everybody's freaking out, yeah, just let them freak out on every hand one-to-one and dealer bust and everybody's freaking out, right? That's fine. You're probably not really, no one really cares or it's all kind of be just expected, but most places you go, the Baccarat section is going to be the biggest section um, in table games, right? The yep. dice, generally speaking. And most of the people ramming and jamming high, you know, in higher limits don't want to hear that shit. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a, those, that is the high limit area. So, yeah. So, I mean, we got to make you nothing wrong with being proactive in that spot. If I'm in the $15 blackjack pit, I'm probably not being proactive. I'm probably not going to address it. Like you said, until somebody complains and then I'll address it. Right. Well, back to dealer flair. Sorry for the detour guys. Um, how about when they, they try to do like a cool snap with the with the oh. with their down card not their no. sorry not their down card they do a cool like uh flare thumb smash into the table with the bust card or something but it, it spins out of the dealer work area and then it's all sideways maybe it knocks like a the other player's cards kind of askew whenever you know just sloppy dealing because they're trying to be flippy and fancy with the the way they distribute the cards how about that one yeah that's a that's a lesser frequent one but definitely still semi-common um you know, you'll see it a lot when they're drawing their dealer hand. They'll do the snap, right? Yep. Sometimes you'll even see some dealers that even, like, snap cards in the card delivery round, you know, in the beginning of the Goodness. each betting, each hand. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, like, please. Like, I, I'll admit that was one of my first flares that I had as a young dealer. And I was coached on it right away. And I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, what? It sounds cool. It looks cool. You know, and then I realized a little later on, like, yeah, that's that's tacky. Let's not. Uh, Much like the chips should be quiet, the cards should also be quiet when they're hitting the felt. Just, great point yeah for sure yeah anything you're handling um as a dealer i mean with the ex- with some obvious exceptions like a roulette ball or something like that um you shouldn't hear it right i mean you shouldn't hear anything you do um with your hands um uh, and cards included you know checks included everything else so i feel like we sound like a bunch of grumpy grumpy mothers right now man just like don't make sound just sit there quietly don't celebrate you know but but that's not the case you know i'm all for the cheering and the customer service and getting everyone involved having fun but uh when it becomes excessive and it it ruins the efficiency of your dealing and it makes the experience probably worse yeah no and i mean this this advice is is especially geared to people who want to become the best of the best right like you know if, if you don't take it the job that seriously and you just kind of want to follow procedure and clock in and clock out that's fine you know but if you want to really know what it takes to be the best of the best right i mean this is the things you got to know so that's kind of who this is geared for um is it a little bit you know old man get off my lawn ish yeah maybe a little bit but we just want to see dealers succeed and become the best of the best right it reminds me of this quote that i've heard throughout my life and it's i believe it is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think it's like an army thing. And I always go back to that where 
You don't need the flair, you don't need the extravagancies. You just be smooth, slow, efficient. And if you're being efficient, you're gonna be one of the fastest dealers out there, right? Because you think of, if you just slowly and smoothly put the bus card down, you're going to, end, in the long run, be faster than someone who, who may whip it faster, but occasionally when they whip it faster, it spins out of their control and then they have to re-grab it and it screws the dealer's hand, they have to re- or screws the player's hand. They have to reset up the player's hand. It's all wasted time, right? Maybe they flare snap it and it bends the corner of the card and then the floor has to come over and change the cards, right? So all this is wasting time where the, slu- the, the smooth guy is in the long run just going to far exceed hands per hour and it's going to look cleaner. It's going to be nicer. So slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That's how we like to do. All right, so let's get into this video I was about to show when we got distracted by the fill flare uh tangent so can you see the screen over here yep okay your boy phil phil the beast phil the beast he has a riddle for us and i have not even watched this video yet i i saw it and i heard him say a riddle and i was like oh this might be good and we might be able to do this this thing so you know let's see if we can figure this riddle out hey guys this is future phil in the editing room i am going to input the riddle now this is a riddle from phil the beast on TikTok. He's a poker vlogger personality type. He's really cool. You should check him out. His riddle is you're playing poker and on the turn your head's up and you have the best hand against your opponent. But only your opponent has a chance to win the hand. You cannot win. What are your cards, your opponent's cards, and the board? Okay, so we're on the turn and we're ahead, but only the opponent can win? Yeah, we're, I think, I can always replay it, but I think what he said is we're on the turn, we are ahead, but only our opponent can win the hand. What are, what are both of our cards and what's the board? That's really wild. It it's is really wild, some, so. The first thing, nothing came to me right away, but then something just came to me. Could it, well, something with like quad deuces for some reason popped into my head and kicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I like the idea of quads. I, I, I'm, I have nothing yet. So we're thinking there's quads on the board, but we have the best hand. So, right. Well, because I was thinking of what if it's like quads on the board and then like quad threes and you have four deuce, but that couldn't. Okay, that's the nice. The opponent can win though, so that means how could the opponent? If he had a higher kicker, it wouldn't he would be ahead? So I know I'm close. But I'm not that close. Close we got so far. This is a good one. Okay, so we have quad threes on the board. We have the best hand, so we have a five. We have five four. And they have two three. No, they have two four. No, this is not gonna work. Yeah, it's not gonna work. It's, it seemed like we were onto it, but I'm thinking more about it because you couldn't be ahead if you had quads. Um, or what about a small two pair somehow? No, because you could just still draw and not pair up the opponent's hand it's interesting because if it this would be easy if we weren't ahead on the turn if we were like tied on the turn if it was like a chop on the turn but that only they have a chance to win that would be easy they're just free rolling us right and that's pretty right, standard right. so this is a good this is a good one i it's not somehow we're ahead right somehow we're ahead do you know the answer to this film? no i don't know the I, I just played this just for the first time gotcha gotcha um whew, i'm stumped I guess we're not clever enough to figure this out. Um, if anyone listening 
knows this or would care to figure it out, feel free to do so and let us know in the Discord what the solution to this thing is because we can't take all day trying to figure this out on the podcast. Speaking of Discord, we got a spike in uh, our Discord group for 21 Tango Podcast. Uh, We'd like to thank all the newcomers to the Discord group. Um, It's starting to look like an actual group now, Phil. There's more than just me and you in there. Right, right. I think we have 10 members as of now. So that's... uh, I've been advertising in the previous podcast. We're going to give the first 100 members a legacy role to show that you guys were the first ones in, first ones supporting. So... 10 of those 100 are already gone, only 90 left. So make sure you get in the Discord and, you know, help our community grow. Join that with us. It'll be in the show notes, the link to the Discord, if you want to join and have a good chat with us in there. Yep. And again, appreciate everyone for joining. Uh, Tell a friend about the pod. Tell a friend about the Discord group. And uh, we appreciate you helping us grow. I actually want to shout these guys out. I'm going to read the names of these, of, of of our OGs who joined the Discord already. We got, we got Zach. Big A4682, Casino Dave, Jimmy Wynn, Mainer Matt, Snooscat, The Midnight Wolfman, and Wink182, man. Thank you guys for joining in. Uh, I'm glad you guys are in there. Shout out to two of those. Uh, one of them is my, my guy, Darren, a.k.a. The Midnight Wolfman, a.k.a. Donnie Delicious. Gotten to give him a shout out. Uh, just slam it. And uh, also, too, I was, uh, I was, uh, I went on, um, was his name Casino Dave? I went on his uh, website. Good to see there's people out there trying to create si- uh, create games oh, and yeah. create side bets. I've kind of dabbled with that a little bit myself, and uh, maybe we'll do a segment on that at some point. But um, oh, there's a hundred percent a Casino Dave podcast coming. We need to get him on here. I want to hear his his creative process behind the side bets that he, you know that he's thought up, and uh, you know it'd be great to get insight from somebody else. Definitely, yeah. Talk side bets, talk game creation. I'd uh, I'd love that. Yeah, I always thought, you know, anyone who's worked in the casino industry, I imagine, has thought of their own side bets. It's such like a fun thing. I don't know, for me at least to think about, but then I always came back to, well, how am I going to mathematically proof this to make sure it's not exploitable, right? Because there's so many angles, so many counters, so many intricacies of gambling that you can't just think of a simple thing and put it in a casino. You have to vet it. It has to be proven that it can't be beaten. It's got to be mathematically sound. There's got to be very specific house edge. It's got to fall between like 20 and 5% hold, not hold house edge on the side bets Um, or else the casino is not even going to look at it. So it's harder than you think to just come up with something that's good. Yeah, I know at one point on wizardofodds.com, you could send a side bet or a game that you created to the... uh, creator of that site michael shackleford i believe his name is and uh you could used to be able to send stuff to him and he would uh run simulations of it or he'd run simulations of uh really of uh lesser known side bets and uh come up with uh you know perfect strategy on how to beat them or how to lose the least rather to most of them since most of them aren't beatable oh, that's beautiful so yeah pretty interesting stuff then i when i first came up i was uh um, absorbing all that stuff on Wizard of Odds is a great, uh, great resource. You said Michael Shackelford. I believe that's the name. Yes. We need to get him on the podcast, man. That guy. Oh man, that would be a that would be a pull. It's he, like uh, <laughs> I was so deep in Wizard of Odds for like the first three years of my casino gaming life, just constantly in there. 
yeah, amazing, amazing stuff on there. I mean, he's it's just got everything you need and um, on how to learn how you know the statistical underpinnings of all the games, how to beat games, um, you know, house edges, strategies, just everything. Great, great resource. Probably the best. I would say the the best resource in gaming, at least it used to be. Um, I think I, the uh, best one is a Twenty One Tango podcast. That's ah, uh, well. Second place isn't too bad, Mike. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Um, Discord. We actually have a message from Discord that I want to read you. It's a story from one of our listeners, Jimmy Win. Jimmy Win. Let me read this thing to you, man. So he says, Here's my biggest degenerate story. I used to play in Los Angeles card rooms while living there. Most games at the card room were third party banked and charged players antes. For some reason, they were able to offer Baccarat without an ante, so I played Baccarat five to six times a week, which is, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> anyway, I went on a pretty crazy streak of winning 200 bucks literally every session for six month period, just martingaling the banker until I was up 200. I think by this point you can figure out where this is going. One night while playing, we hit a 15 player run. I ran out of money at the 14th hand, so they actually held the game for me to go to an ATM. I come back, and what do you think happens? Oh man, he's got to be real high up in the Martindale ladder here. It's Mart- or Martingale ladder Martingale. here. Oh my! I mean, it doesn't matter what he's starting with if he's up to 16. I mean, even if you're starting with five dollars, you're I, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but you've, you're in four or five figures there. <laughs> um. Jeez, I hope he I hope he won it. I just I'm I'm pulling for the guy. I mean, I know it happened in the past, but I don't even want to think about losing that sixteenth, fifteenth, or sixteenth hand. That's that's crazy, man. What happened? Yeah, that's pretty wild, right? So he's betting on the banker and the player run has decimated his bankroll. So he goes to the ATM, says, I get back from the ATM, I come back, and banker hits after losing all those hands straight, right? So celebration ensues. Wait. Except I was playing Easy Bach, the non-commission variant. So when the three card seven comes up on a banker win, it's actually a push. So oh dear God, so. <laughs> that's yeah. I heard. I I didn't. I I put that point to the side because like when I heard house ba- or player banked, I was thinking maybe this for some reason they don't take commission. I didn't even think of that. That it was actually you know the 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 push seven uh, commi- oh, you know commission. God. I didn't even think of that. That's brutal. So the three card seven banker comes and instead of winning on banker as he should the commission of that game is a three card seven everyone on banker just gets a push that's how the house gets their edge back from not taking commission after uh, not taking commission on all the other hands so yeah he's martingaling he loses all of these hands gets up to his largest wager he's ever made runs to the atm comes back wins but they don't pay him because it's a push I left my money on banker and player hit. That was my single biggest losing night ever and a pretty gut-wrenching experience. I swore off the game for a solid five years, but I've recently played again. It makes for a great slow game, especially playing with friends. Holy moly, what a story. You know, it's funny because Martin Gailing never really did it for me, like personally. Um, but I hear stories about big and, and they just like, that's where it would probably start to do something for you. Right. When you're in that like sixth, seventh, eighth hand after losing. Right. Oof. And you're just getting way up there. And if you're and then it really tests, like 
how committed you are to it because I feel like I've I've done it before, but I never make it past like that. I, did, I don't know. It just, just doesn't do it for me for some reason. I know it's not really a thing. Maybe that's why, or for some reason it doesn't appeal to me, but I, you know, it's, it's a, I get it if that's your thing and it's fun, but man, that really tests you, you know, when you get to that. Oh yeah. How high up are you willing to go? Because like, do you just change your mind and be like, I'm not willing to, you know, you might've preset, like I'll go up to 10 losses or 12 or whatever. But once you get up that high, are you really, really truly willing? Because it's, when you think about it, right, you're up that high. It's still just 50, 50. It's well, not like, you know, you're, you're 10%, you're 90% favorite because you lost in a row you know well we know our boy in the discord jimmy Wynn has the stones man because he went back to the atm no fear in his heart he just like all right i gotta take out my whole you know my whole account here and stick it on banker it's the only logical option we gotta do it yeah he had the heart no doubt all right jim thanks for the degenerate story we're gonna dive into procedure of the week procedure of the week this week for procedure of the week we're gonna talk about handheld double deck the procedures that the dealers and house should use to protect against card counters. So if you're a dealer, might want to listen to this, get a little uh, extra insight on why your pit is asking you to do certain things. So, MJ, why do they cut the deck so thick in double deck? So double deck is obviously two decks of cards, 104 cards. How much are you cutting off of that if you're dealing that game? Yeah, so most places will be about half of a deck if i'm not mistaken right some places might even do it a little bit a little bit heavier um the main reason of course is to protect the game so if um you know the deck uh, the remaining deck becomes really rich in tens um they won't have access to it um a secondary reason which is far less important but it's just so you don't run out of cards um on splits and that sort of thing um but the primary reason is to protect the game so if the count gets nice and juicy um it's just only going to be one more hand, probably, and then we shuffle up and deal again. So, right. So the way card counting works is you get the running count. You're keeping track of plus one for every low card, minus one for every big card. You get this running count, and then you divide the running count by how many decks are remaining to use, and that's going to give you your true count. And when the true count is very high, then you want to start blasting away on your bets. So the idea card counters use is when the deck gets very very small you're obviously dividing by a smaller number and that makes the count even better so if you def- if you have a running count of 10 and you divide it by half a deck the true count goes to plus 20 which is extremely high but if you have a running count of 10 and you have three decks remaining then you have a true count of three which is still good but not as good as it could be so anyway the house wants to limit the amount of times you're operating with a really short amount of cards remaining because that's when the true count is the highest so they want to cut that as thick as they can, end the shoe as soon as it gets down there, just in case it's a very high count and someone's going to take advantage of them. Yeah, when you when you only have two decks, or even in some places that offer single deck versus a six deck, when you're getting to the end of a shoe where you have a lot more certainty as an advantage player, um, you want to reduce the amount of times that's possible, right? Because if I'm grinding out on a six deck, um, there's just not a lot of times in a, in a playing session where I'm going to have a you know, a high certainty or a high, high true count, um, because you're, you're get you're blasting through, you know, to get to the end and not have a, you know, only have like a half deck left or a full deck left. Um, and you can be a lot more certain that you're going to win as a player. Right. Um, and you just get so many chances over and over again. I mean, more than three X, even, I mean, even though it's, you know, six deck to two deck, I think it'd actually work out to more than three times the amount you'd have playing in a six deck shoe. So, um, really important for 
houses and gaming personnel to watch all the dealers and watch all the games to, to make sure that's consistently happening that you're never giving you know a thinner cut maybe a dealer doesn't want to shuffle up as much and starts cutting it thinner maybe they just don't know any better really got to watch that as a as a floor as a as a make or as a pit make sure your floors are enforcing that cool so that's cutting the deck how about exposing the cards to the camera during the pay and take round why is it essential for a dealer to when they're paying and taking to fully expose both cards of the player so that the camera can see it why is that so important yeah you do that um I guess another two reasons and a primary and a secondary reason. The primary reason would be for um, should the floor or should surveillance wish to run down a game and determine if somebody is an advantage player, they're able to do that. Um, the secondary reason, which is again way further down the list, but it's just for game integrity and the the, the um, presentation of, of game security that everybody can see, like, okay, that's you know, not a bunch of wrong cards or we're not using a, you know, mismatched two deck or something like that just for the, so right. everybody can see that the game is legit. Yeah, also a pretty big reason would just be so that the floor supervisor can be looking at the game from a distance and easily be able to determine the count of the player's hand and your hand and determine if you're paying and taking correctly. Because if you just flip the player's hand over where it barely exposes the bottom card, although you can see it as a dealer, the floor supervisor 10 feet away is not going to be able to see it, and they don't know if you're accurately paying or taking that game. So you want to fully turn both cards over, expose them as if you would if you had just dealt it face up on a game on a, on a regular blackjack table. You want it to look exactly the same during the pay and take round. Yep, accuracy of pay and take always important. And uh, one other side nugget too, they should always be spread down and to the left. So both corners can be seen, uh, both values can be seen, because um, if you do it down and to the right, you can only see one um, value of each covered card, so it makes things better for your floor and for surveillance to be able to watch and watch accurately from a distance. Yep. Um, no sharing whole card information with other players. If you're a dealer and you see the players kind of working as a team, showing each other their hands, what are we doing in that spot, MJ? Yeah, I've played at a lot of places that are real lax with this rule. Um, of all the stuff we talked about, this is probably one of the most lax things you see yep. in this game. Um, where people are just having fun and sharing each other's cards. And maybe the floor is thinking, ah, these players can't beat this game. It doesn't matter. But you don't really know who is maybe throwing up some camouflage and just trying to appear as like a goofy gambler. Um, but actually might know what they're doing when they... Uh, you know, get all those values of the cards and are able to keep a, a more accurate true count. Um, so you don't share you don't share it until the hand's over because then the person sitting third base or later in the betting round um, can make a more accurate decision on their hand. Yep. Um, so that's very important to follow. Um, lots of places out there that don't do it. I would suggest tightening that up. What's interesting is from the manager side of things because I've been running a lot of guests down, making sure they're not counting on these games. Um, you keep a count as, as me running the guest down you keep a count in your head and it needs to be the same as the player it, it needs to be that you need to have the same count in your head as the player has in theirs, in theirs or else you're not going to be able to accurately predict or even see if they're counting at all what happens when they're sharing cards is you're running them down from the office you're looking at the cards that you can see that are on the layout 
so you know the count is, let's say, plus four. So you expect them to be doing things that you should do on a plus four count, but what's happening is the player can see all the cards that are held in his friend's hand around the table. He gets an advanced count, so he's operating, say the count goes back to a zero, but I don't know that because I can't see him from the office, but he knows that. So he's operating on a plus zero count. I'm operating on a plus four, and it's harder for me to determine if he's counting or not because, you know, we're not even on the same count because he's he sees six extra cards that I don't see. So it, it makes it a big mess if he has information that the house doesn't have. So that's kind of one of the reasons, too, why we don't like them sharing whole cards. Yeah, interesting to, to note of those two outcomes, right, of the actual true count the, the player's knowledge true count but there's actually a third one too is is the player just not counting correctly period and right. not making the right move so it's kind of like it's a lot to take in take into account when you're uh running it running someone down and trying to figure out uh if they're uh if they're counting properly or not it just adds another variable right so if if we knew as a house that he could not see the other people's cards as is the rule, if it was enforced, it would make our job much easier because we don't have this extra variable. Of, oh shit, does he know six extra cards that I don't know? And that's why he's not following the strategy correctly? Or is he just suck at the game? Because if I can guarantee that the count is plus four and I see him not doing certain things, then I can just check him off my list. All right, he's not counting. I can just move on to the next guess that I need to look at, move on to the next task that I have for the day. But with this extra variable, it makes it much harder, much longer to determine if he is cheating us or not. Cheating us is not the right word, actually. If he has an advantage on the house, I guess I should say. If he's APing you or not. Yeah, AP <laughs> play. Alright, um, that'll probably wrap it for Procedure of the Week and this episode of the podcast. I got one last thing I wanted to do, a little, uh, over under i want to see if you can how close you get to this here mj over under how many weddings annually in vegas set the over under and then i guess i can tell you the actual answer or i cannot however you want to do it how many weddings annually in vegas do you think there are wow let's just try to break this down backwards real quick 350 million people uh, you probably have 20 to 40, probably divide that by about 5, maybe about 4, so you got about 80 million people in all of America, so 40 million potential marriages, divide that by 50, you'd be around 800,000, but then add some back on because people travel to Vegas, 80,000 I was at, so I'm going to go with 110, 112,000. 112,000 what? Marriages per year in Vegas. So you're setting the over-under at 112,000? That sounds high, doesn't it? Jeez. Well, what is that? That just means... That's not even that much. It's just 200,000 people getting married. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll with my, my initial gut. Stick with the gut. Over-under 112. Did I nail it, or did I... So you would let me bet the over or under on that? Obviously not, because I know the answer, but you would let a random right. person yeah, who didn't yeah, know? Yeah, I would let a random person. Yeah, correct. Wow. I would feel... Vegas good. needs to hire you as a line setter because the actual estimate is about 100,000 people get married in Vegas annually. 
Boom. Wow. I, I feel... I wasn't I wasn't following your math in any way at all. You were just saying you were like 300 that, million, 80 million. I promise you that's million. 100% legit and I've never I, heard that. Before. I was like I was like what what is he saying here? But then all of a sudden you got to 112,000. Like what the hell? That's impressive. That, wow. I swear I haven't ever seen that. I promise you. Just a, just, just a savant, a Vegas a Vegas line setting savant. They need to hire you. Just, just instantly, just sit there. They just, they just feed me stuff, and I'm just like doing the math live and just binging stuff for like totally rain, just rain manning lines, just making hundreds of thousands. I don't know. I like how you, uh, you were, you're working with such big, round, smooth numbers, and you narrowed it down to exactly one hundred and twelve thousand. Like such a specific, like. Well, no, yeah, because I added, <laughs> yeah, I added on thirty. Well, no, I just like went to one twelve because it just felt like I needed to still add on more for some reason. It's just you an just instinct thing. I don't top. know. Right, just threw another little two percent or whatever. <laughs> it's like part of the part of the art of uh, instinct. I don't know. You just sprinkle a little extra sprinkle cheese a little on top. On there, yeah, <laughs> a little Parmesan <laughs> on top. All right, man, that was fun. Uh, thanks for the pod. I got to uh, get ready for work, man. All right, guys, that's a wrap for us. The Discord link is in the show notes. Please uh, join the Discord, ask any questions. We will use your topics, questions, or suggestions on the show. Or search us on any socials, either at 21Tango or at 21Tango Podcast. Signing out for Phil, I'm MJ. This is the 21Tango Pod. Until next time.